Do you ever feel like life is always going against you? Uh, look at the pictures on the screen, and I think you might feel that way if this was your home. If you came home and noticed the mantle had fallen off the fireplace and your big screen TV was on the ground and with glass everywhere. What about the kitchen cabinets? They're all hooked together, but what happens when they all fall off the wall at the same time? And everything that's in them is on the kitchen Floor. Have you ever tried to uh, sprinkle just a little bit of salt or pepper on your food and the lid comes off and the whole thing is on your food? And this has happened to me several times when you're trying to open a, a can of pop and the, the lid, the, you know, the tab breaks and you can't get it open. I don't know if you need a blowtorch or do you need a screwdriver. I don't know how you get it open when it's that way. You just have to shake it up and throw it and see what happens, I think, is what you do then. Or how about this? Now, the picture on how it got there. I assume it's the wind, a hurricane or something threw it up there. Maybe it was fairies. Maybe it was aliens. I don't know how it got up there, but there is a trampoline up in the tree. Now, this poor janitor, he was vacuuming. I don't know if he had the vacuum plugged into the elevator. I never really have seen uh, plugs in an elevator. But anyway, somehow this was in the elevator, and as the elevator went up, his vacuum cleaner went up. And that is what has happened to him. I'm sure not how he wanted his day to go. Now, I know that we as Baptists aren't supposed to gamble, uh, but if you ever have gambled or you have played the slot machines and you've always hoped for your lucky day and that your million dollars would come out of the machine, uh, I hope you never have a day like this where there is a seven and a seven and a seven and a seven and, oh, almost another seven. And that's how life feels sometimes. It feels like with the little things in life, opening up a can of Coke or walking out into your yard and seeing the trampoline in the tree, that life is against you or that life is upside down or that life makes no sense. And that is certainly true of what we have been going through since March with the crisis of the pandemic, but it hasn't just been the pandemic where we have been isolated and where now there is animosity between people, whether you wear a mask or don't wear a mask, and people are fighting over that and assaulting each other over that. And we have people, uh, we have people supporting the police and people wanting to defund the police, and we have those marching for racial justice, but at the same time rioters who are burning down buildings. Either party will do anything to give the other one credit for anything. And so our society and our world is in this crisis that makes us feel as though life is turned upside down, that everything is against us. And what has been different about this crisis is that any other time in your life, when you have personally gone through something, isn't it true that as you're going through it, you have in the back of your mind this knowledge that when God sees you through it, you will be able to join the world again. Uh, as you're suffering and going through trial, the rest of the world goes on and is enjoying life, and you have the certainty that when God heals you or gets you through that crisis, you will rejoin the joy of the world. But right now, all of us are going through the, the entire world through the crisis at the same time. 
There's no one to join when this is over. And that's the problem. All of us are going through it. And the fact that everything seems to bring more hatred and anger and anxiety puts us in a time where we need faith in God more than ever. Pastor Brady last week shared an account in the Gospels of a woman who was desperate for healing. And because of her faith, she was made well, not only physically, but spiritually, and she was saved and became a child of God. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at another woman in the gospel. Again, without a name that we know. Of course, she had a name. We don't know what it is. And also, she's commended for her faith. And we will learn more about faith, how it's needed now more than ever, and how we are to approach God when we hear her story. It is in Matthew 15 and in Mark 7, or if you're really talented, you can put your finger in both or use your bookmark, or of course, you can just look at the screen and follow along with me. The story begins in Matthew 15, verse 21, and it says this, when Jesus left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. We learn two things about her very quickly, even though we don't know what her name is. One, we learn where she's from. Now, if I asked you, where are you from? You could answer that a lot of different ways. So you say, I'm from Colorado. But now you live in Virginia, so you could say, I live in Virginia. I'm from Virginia. Or you could say, I'm from the South. You could say, I'm from America. I guess you could say, I'm from the world, okay, if you wanted to say that. And so this woman we're given here in Matthew, and then Mark gives us more information about where she's from. And so we learned this about her. If you look at the map, she was from an area where the two major cities were Tyre and Sidon. If you look on the map up in the upper left-hand corner in the beige, you'll see those cities right above where it says Galilee. Those were the major cities. She was from that area. As the stereotypical city that has abandoned God for wealth. They were wealthy cities because the people, the Phoenicians who lived there, were sea travelers. The Israelites, the Jews, they didn't travel around the sea. In fact, to them, the sea was a symbol of chaos and evil. But the Phoenicians, they went out into the Mediterranean Sea and they traveled all over. In fact, some of the Phoenicians lived in North Africa. And so they were there, here. Those cities were the principal area where she lived. But also, she's, we're told in Mark that she was a Syrophoenician woman. That means she was from the region of Phoenicia, which was also part... You see that indicated there. She was a Canaanite. That's another way of saying that she was from this part of uh, the Middle East here. Remember in the Old Testament, the, the Israelites left Egypt. They went into the land of Canaan and defeated the Canaanites. Also, Mark tells us she was simply a Gentile. And that is the most important thing that we need to know about her as we see her story unfold. She was a Gentile. 
She was not a Jew like Jesus was, nor like the disciples were, nor like the nation of Israel, the Jews who were there in the land to whom Jesus had come people. The Jews, in fact, hated Gentiles, ignored Gentiles, and even called them dogs. This is who she was, but more to her personal life, she probably didn't really care where she was from, but she cared deeply about this fact that her daughter was suffering and being tormented by a demon. I don't know if you've ever heard of anyone tormented by a demon. I don't know what that would look like. I don't understand how agonizing it would be. I imagine it would be stable but mentally deranged. But also as we see in the Gospels, often it wasn't just something mentally, also physically People would, would hurt themselves, cut themselves, or try to throw themselves into a fire. So can you imagine, as a, especially a mother, seeing your daughter out of her mind, trying to hurt herself, being tormented daily by a demon? And I know that for us who are parents, it, it's one thing to suffer through something ourselves, uh, we can suffer through because we know as we are going through something, we can handle it. We can take to God and we believe he's going to help us and we can deal with it. But to see our child suffering, especially when we can't do anything to help them, that has got to be one of the worst feelings as a parent. I think the worst is losing your child for a moment or the death of your child. But right there next to it is seeing your child suffering and not being able to do anything to help. That's where this woman was. She was in desperate need. And her daughter was suffering. And she wanted her to be well and knew who to go to. So she went to Jesus. She might think she should have. She called out and said, my daughter's being tormented by a demon, and this is what the disciples says. His disciples approached him, of course, referring to Jesus, and urged him, send her away because she keeps crying out after us. Can you imagine if you were coming to the Lord with this burden, and then those who were around him, the disciples, said, get rid of her. I mean, she's standing right there. She can hear them. I can imagine her thinking, I'm right here. I can hear what you're saying. You know, there, there's no compassion. There's no sympathy. All they are is annoyed at her that she understood why they were there in this region. And Mark tells us that. Oh, I forgot about this. Look at that. Do you have a, this is a welcome mat that you're supposed to put in front of your house. I guess this means you don't want anybody to come into your house. Uh, I, I'm sure it would keep away salespeople, but it would probably keep away your neighbors too. And it says, go away, scram, beat it, goodbye, leave, skedaddle, vanish, run away, get out of here. Does anyone have one like that? Uh, ours says welcome. So, so I feel a little bit more morally superior to whoever has this welcome mat right here. This was the disciples' welcome mat. Get out. This is why they said the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. 
Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter was suffering with an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. So this is the scenario. I want you to imagine this. You've had a long day at work. You come home. You sit in your comfy chair or on the couch. You've got your favorite beverage. Maybe you like to watch TV. You're ready to look at Facebook. You're ready to just relax. Or maybe it's the dog. And the dog jumps up on your lap. Or, or maybe it's your spouse. Honey, do this for me. Honey, do that for me. Honey, you know, so there you were just ready to relax. And now interruptions. Maybe the doorbell starts ringing. Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. So you know, this is how they're feeling. See, they had gone to this area to get away from everything. They had been busy ministering in the area of Galilee and now they're coming to this area to relax to escape, to get away from it all. And here this woman comes and starts begging for Jesus to do something. Not very sympathetic, not very compassionate, but maybe you can understand a little bit why they said that. I won't completely throw them under the bus. It seems as though they were telling Jesus, Jesus, just heal her and get her out of here. So sort of, again, if you come home and your kids start bugging you, you just give them candy and tell them to go away. Okay, so that was sort of the idea. They weren't completely heartless. They knew Jesus could heal her daughter. So they said, just do it right now and get out of the way so she'll leave. But they had no concern for her and no concern for her daughter. Now, you would think that Jesus would react differently. Uh, but we don't expect too much of the disciples anyway. Okay, so they, they were... But you know how Jesus responded to her? Jesus did not say a word to her. There was silence. Now imagine this woman. Her daughter is suffering. She's distraught. She knows who to go to. And look, Jesus is in the area near her house. She rushes there. She goes to him, pleads for help, and Jesus says and does nothing. Have you ever felt that way? You, you cry out to God. Self? She was asking for her daughter. God, do something. But God doesn't say anything. The first question that always comes to mind when God is silent is does he care for me. Pastor Brady's story about Jesus calming the storms, that's exactly what the disciples said. They asked Jesus that very question, do you care? And that's how we always feel when we pray and God doesn't say anything. It feels like God could care less for going through. We might expect that from our enemies, expect it from our friends who don't understand, but to get that response from God himself, that hurts worse. But there's always a reason we have problems in our lives. Besides the fact we live in a sinful world and besides the fact people hurt each other, 
When there's a crisis in our life, God is always testing our faith. And that's what he was doing for this woman. He wanted her to learn something. She had some growing to do. He cares for us. But he doesn't always answer us. And when he doesn't answer us, it's almost like he's telling us to pause, wait, think, grow, learn. Up until this point, the story is very frantic and fast-paced. The disciples withdraw, but immediately there's a woman who finds out where they are. Immediately she goes, and immediately she's asking for help. And then Jesus just doesn't do anything. And it's a chance for everyone just to take a deep breath. Particularly coming for help, he wants us to stop. Next, they have a conversation. And when you first read the conversation, it makes no sense. Why are they talking about this? I thought there was a daughter. I thought there was a demon. But they don't talk about the daughter. They don't talk about demons. They talk about dogs and tables and families eating together. Jesus replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but she came, knelt before him, and said, Lord, help me. He answered, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, yet even the dog eats the crumbs that fall from her master. seen every night when we have supper together. Our dog Casper never misses a meal. You know, I don't know if your pet's this way. When he hears, like, the crackling of a wrapper or he hears the knives and the forks start to hit each other, he's right there in the kitchen immediately. He knows something's happening. And so every night when we sit down at the table to eat, Casper's right there next to us. Now, he's a smart dog, too, because our family, this is how we feed our dog. We don't bother sorting it out through the day or whatever. That's just too much work for me. I just give him his whole bowl of food in the morning. But that dog will wait until after supper to touch his bowl. Because, and so the nights he doesn't get anything, he kind of just kind of walks over there and resigns himself. Well, I guess I'll eat this stuff since I didn't get anything else better. And so that's how he is. He's always there. Now, isn't it true that as a parent, it would be wrong for me to take that meal? It's usually Sarah's making it. It smells good. It's delicious. It's right in front of us to take that, that wonderful plate, and set it on the floor right in front of Casper and say, here, Casper, there you go. And then my kids are at the top, at the table, looking at an empty plate. That would not be the right thing to do as a parent. But isn't it also true that every time we eat, Casper eats? There's always somebody slipping him something, you know, a piece of bread, a piece of meat. You know what he likes, he, and he's there. He's a great dog. He never begs for it. He just waits for it. So he's there. So this is, we understand exactly what this woman and Jesus are talking about. We probably just don't understand why they're talking about it now. But the, the picture makes complete sense. Parents feed their children, not the dogs with the food, but the dogs always get to eat. They get the crumbs. They get the leftovers. They get something. The children are fed and happy. The dogs fed and happy. And everyone gets fed. So what is Jesus trying to teach? Thinking, and we don't know her heart. But Jesus did. That's what makes it hard for us to figure it out. 
So I'm going to guess, but because I'm guessing, I could be completely wrong. But I think the clue is in how she came to Jesus. When she came to Jesus, remember who she is. She's a Gentile. But when she came to Jesus, she used the term son of David, which was accurate. Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the Messiah. That's the Jewish term for Messiah, one of them. So here she comes to Jesus and says to him, son of David, in other words, Messiah. She comes to him. She's a Gentile, but she comes to him as though that the Jews deserve. But she wasn't a Jew. She was a Gentile. And I'm guessing, even though it's very subtle, but I think maybe that's the reason he wanted to teach her something about how to approach God. And so I think we can learn from her and how she came and what Jesus was trying to teach her. Sometimes when we come to God, we try to manipulate him. We bargain with him. Sometimes we'll say a prayer, God, if you do this, I'll do that. Isn't that trying to force God to do something for us? Maybe we come to God and we try to fool him, which is silly. But we try to say, no, God, I've been so good and and I've served so well in the church and I've done this for you and I've done that for you. So God, you owe me. All right, so do this. Have you ever tried to fool him or try to impress him? And why do we try to bargain with God when we don't deserve anything? Anything we receive from God is a gift. This is grace. We don't deserve it. And so I I think maybe this woman in her heart and her mind thought that if she addressed Jesus as a Jew, she would get the blessings of the Jews. And if she buttered herself up to the Lord, maybe he would consider her request more than she just came as who she was. When we come to the Lord, humbly come before him, not expecting anything because we don't deserve anything, and come before him just as we are. And don't come before him and try to force him, manipulate him, bargain with him to learn. See, at that time, there was a separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews were God's chosen people. They were the ones who received the law. They were the ones through whom the Messiah was going to come. Jesus was there. When Jesus came, he offered to the Jews the kingdom that had been promised. He was there to teach the Jews. John the Baptist was there to lead them to the Messiah. Jesus' ministry and John the Baptist's ministry, the ministry of the disciples at the first was all about the Jews. It wasn't about the Gentiles. Yes, Gentiles in the Old Testament had been blessed by God and they received blessings. But even in the Old Testament, the focus wasn't on them, it was on the Jews. That book, how now God has torn down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. Paul says in Galatians, there is no Jew and Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We're all the same in Christ. We're all saved the same way. We're all saved as children of God. We're all the same now, but then it wasn't so. And so she wanted the blessings of the Jews and tried to come to Jesus as a Jew when she wasn't. But as she rightly observed, even though she wasn't a Jew, God always blessed Gentiles who came to him and asked for blessing. Those were the crumbs, so to speak, that she was seeking. And so because she came and I guess learned her lesson, Jesus said this, 
She replied to her, woman, your faith is great. This is how Mark tells us. Then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. She had great faith. Because she had that faith, God healed her daughter. This is what we learn about faith from her. We must be persistent in our prayers. Remember, she asked and she got silence. Some would have stopped there. She asked and the disciples told her, get out of here. Some would have stopped there and left. But she kept asking until Jesus gave an answer. And how he prayed and God gave him an answer and it was no. But Balaam asked again. If you remember that week, I told you that was wrong because God had given him an answer. When God gives an answer, he's said it. You accept it. You believe it. You do it. Balaam tried to manipulate God and wanted to keep asking until he got the answer he wanted. (laughs) That's not really seeking God's will or praying in the right attitude, is it? If you have a preconceived idea of what you want from God and you're just going to keep asking until you get it, That is not the attitude of proper prayer. She asked but didn't get an answer, so she asked again. So this is different. When you ask and you don't get an answer, ask again and keep asking. God wants you to keep asking. He's not put off by the fact that you ask a second or third or fourth or fifth time. As you keep asking, there's probably something he wants you to learn in between all those requests. So be persistent to discourage you. She could have been easily discouraged by those disciples who said, just get out of here. She came with faith that knowing that Jesus could heal her daughter, she could have left discouraged and despondent and just given up on her faith because of their response. But she did not allow them to stop her from asking. She had faith that Jesus could heal her daughter. And I know you have faith that God can do miracles in your life. I know you truly believe it because you've seen it. I want to challenge you, though, this morning with a deeper faith, a stronger faith. And that's when God doesn't do the miracle and he doesn't do the impossible. How strong is your faith then? God does do miracles. He does answer our prayer. And sometimes, but think about it. If every time we ask God gave us something, every time we ask God gave us what we needed or wanted, would it take much faith to believe in God, to follow him? That'd be easy. Anybody could do that. It's when we ask and he's silent or he asks and he says no. That's when we truly have to have faith. That's when we have to trust him that he knows what he's doing. That's when our faith is stronger because we're trusting him that he has a plan that he's working out. So sometimes God will tell us no or he just won't say anything because he wants us to have a stronger faith, the faith that trusts 
even when there's no response, or faith to trust even when the response is not what we want. And that's the kind of faith we need now. When we don't know the future, we don't know how it's going to turn out. When everyone is suffering in some way, we have to have a faith that's strong and we're going to believe in him and trust in him even if we don't understand it, even if others mock us, even if we ourselves don't always feel like he has a plan. That's when we will trust and that's when our faith will be stronger. That's what this woman teaches us and that's the faith that we need. So I'm going to pray for us that God gives us that faith as we get ready to worship him in song again. Father, I pray for those right now who are like this woman and need you to answer and need a miracle. I pray, God, that you would do it right now for them. Lord, you would give us trust in you. When we don't understand, we can't see the way. And we are frustrated that there is no answer. So I pray that you would strengthen our faith, especially in this time when a pandemic that is uh, unknown and its ending is uncertain, that we would trust you. We would trust you that you are figuring it out. Not only, you're not figuring it out, you know it. And you have a purpose and a plan. And that we trust you. Lord, I know in our individual lives, there's times when we have to do that as well. Be righteous and holy, to have a plan that is perfect and that is for our good. We've always seen it in the past. Lord, may we trust you for that same plan now. Lord, strengthen our faith. And I pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.